I'm gonna act like I'm gonna act like Daniel didn't put you up to that. And that just came out of the purity of your heart. I receive it. Oh, I know it's the normal thing to say, but really, truly, I'm so pumped to be here tonight. I'm excited. Get to talk about Jesus. That's a pretty good deal, right? So first things first, Daniel, Lisa, we love you. Paige and I love you. We adore you. We've logged some sacred miles, haven't we? Over the years. We've seen some mountain peaks. We've seen some, even some dark nights, and Jesus has been faithful through all of it. So by the grace of God, more miles together, right? Yeah. Love you guys so much. There's really no flaws to the growthies. Um, there, well, maybe one flaw, and it's really, it's really Lisa Moore, I'm sorry to say. It's, it's, it's that I know it's that Lisa has a violent temper. <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding, but... It's kind of an inside joke with the four of us. We, I mean, it was years ago. We went to dinner, the four of us, and Lisa just smashed a plate. It's the kind of thing where the restaurant went, like jolted and looked over, and we're like, geez, geez. What was it? Well, it was an accident. And then, but it was, six, it was six months later, we went to dinner, the four of us again. She did the exact same thing. Bam! <laughs> smashed the plate. Yeah, it happens once, it's an accident. It happens twice, you have an anchor problem. Yeah. You need to see professional, a professional. I think it happened a third time. What's funny is you walked in tonight and I said hello to you and you have a broken finger. So what, what, what in the world is going on? Love you guys. You are perfect. Um, I don't get, I'm mostly leading worship, so I don't get to talk about my family very much, but my page is here in the front row. My kids. My kids are somewhere doing something, behaving, I'm sure of it. There's a lot of activity over here. I'm sure they're over here. Um, anyway, it's so good to be here. Ephesians 4, Bible people, open it up, phone people, go to it, screen people, look at it. We're going to go to Ephesians 4. I want to ask you an existential question because I'm an existential guy. What are we doing here? What is the purpose of this? What do we identify as the most important thing for our existence, our well-being? Why are we gathering here? Why is some hippie-looking guy talking to you right now about Jesus? Why is this happening? So let's, Paul has a couple thoughts about this, and then I'm going to read a little bit from some of the sages. Daniel and I share a love for some of the people who've really lived and really walked with Jesus for a long time. But we're going to read from Ephesians 4, and we'll dive in. Um, I love Ephesians. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It is, it's a real simple kind of way, of, I, the way I look at Ephesians. It's, it's, I'm from New Jersey, so I like things. Say it clear, say it strong, say it like you mean it. And Ephesians is that way. It's kind of just six chapters. It's split in two halves. One, two, three chapter is just a brain dump of, from Paul about who we are in Christ our identity in Christ. Even that phrase, in Christ, was used like 150 times, mostly by Paul. And then he pivots to chapters four, five, and six, and it's kind of like now in light of that, what do we do? What do we do with it? And we all love that cliche, we're not human doings, we are human beings. But Paul's like, no, we're both. We are human beings, chapters one, two, and three, and then we're gonna be human doings with four, five, and six. 
So I'm gonna pick up just a few of the verses in chapter four, and we'll see what Paul has to say to us. This is the word of the Lord. I'm gonna jump around a little bit. Just follow me. Verse one, as a prisoner for the Lord then. So Paul's in prison while writing this. He's a total beast. He says, another translation is therefore, or in light of everything I just said in, in three chapters, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Someone say, whoo. Paul is flowing down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to what? To equip his people, all of us, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants, infants tossed back, back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Three more verses. Uh, Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire, to be made new in the attitudes of your, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm a worship leader, I like when we do things really together. So I'm gonna say this is the word of the Lord and then you're gonna say thanks be to God, but let's do that together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is there anything sweeter? Preem's here. If Preem is okay, I'm okay. I don't see you, but I love you. There is a theologian, a priest, his name is John Stott, one of the great leaders uh, of evangelicalism. 2005, he was actually named one of the Time Magazine top 100 most influential people. He was a believer, a priest. He lived really well. He died about 15 years ago, and he has something that he said right at the end of of his life, and I want to read it to you. He said this, quote, I remember very vividly some years ago that the question which perplexed me as a younger Christian and some of my friends as well was this, what is God's purpose for his people? Of course, we knew the famous statement of the Westminster Shorter Catechism that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We knew that and we believed it. We also toyed with some briefer statements like one of only five words, love God, love your neighbor. But somehow neither of these nor some others that we can mention seemed wholly satisfactory. So I wanna share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is this. God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. I grew up in New Jersey. I've spent half my life here now. I've been here 22 years, but 
We're all becoming something, whether we want to or not, whether we're trying to or not. We actually could try to do nothing and we're still becoming something. Just by nature of me being in New Jersey, I have New Jersey in my veins. And it is a very blue collar type of place. It's very sarcastic. Every last name is a Batatucci or a Bavignoli or a Patanka. It's a very kind of Italian, gritty place. If, if you're sad, if you have a, like a downcast look on your face here in Colorado, you go up to that person and say, oh, are you okay? Can I help you? But in New Jersey, you just say, what's the matter with you? It's just, it's a very kind of raw, just approach. And my point is, just, we just become kind of our people. You know, when Paige and I got married, um, we did a rehearsal. It was over in the tent, the rehearsal for our wedding, wedding rehearsal. And my Aunt Patty ran the rehearsal. And Aunt Patty's Jersey gal through and through. She's tough. And we had a bunch of Colorado people in the wedding. And then a bunch of New Jersey people were here. And those, it's, it's like the Jets and the... The, the sharks, thank you, Paige. Yeah, and it's one of my groomsmen, a Colorado boy, a meek, sweet boy. He was like, I'm sorry, Patty, where was I supposed to stand again? And she just said, what are you, in kindergarten? <laughs> I think tears welled up in his eyes. I mean, all of the Colorado people were like, these Jersey people are just so mean. <laughs> uh, 22 years away from New Jersey, I think we are a little mean. Um, but I've really softened up. Right, honey? <laughs> but I, I have my mom and dad, Jack and Rose Egan, are just, they're wonderful people of God. Um, I love them dearly. They're in New Jersey right now watching online, so hi, mom and dad. But um, they're in their 70s, and they're not where John Stott was at the end of his pilgrimage, but I, I think they're starting to get to a place where I'm really leaning in and say, what are you saying to us? You know, at the end, you know, Daniel's often up here talking about his parents and he's not up here bragging, like, look at my perfect life, life and my parents. It's just, it's rare to have people that have walked with Jesus for decades and start to really look like Jesus. And we need to look to those people and start to look and try to become, try to look like those people because they look like Christ. And we, we, a lot of people in this room don't have people to look to. Like that, And that's, that's all the more reason why we need to study this, why we need to become more like Jesus because we need to become like what we don't have. We need to become like what we haven't seen. So I want to dive in to how do we do this? How do we actually become like Christ? First John chapter two, verse six. We just did a first John series and here's one of the great verses. It says, he who says he abides in him, in God, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, I think it's clear there's always a, there's a gap between how we're walking and how Jesus walked. I know it is it's true for me. There's fear in me. There's humanity in me. There's comparison in me. There's insecurities in me. There is a gap between how I walk and how Jesus walked. And it's the shrinking of that gap. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. That's why we worship and sing songs. That's why we take communion at the end of the service. That shrink, the shrinking of that gap to become more like Jesus is what Christians call formation. It's discipleship, and Jesus is inviting us into shrinking that gap. So go with me now. I wanna talk about kind of that gap and how do we remove some of the things that harm, you know, that harm us from becoming more like Jesus. So I wanna talk a bit about sin, but. It, Behavior, maybe a little bit of behavior, but a lot really of the sin of our souls is that we're walking around pretty aimless, not really knowing much of who we are and what we are. And you might be thinking, are we about to talk about ourselves? We're gonna, what is this therapy? 
Is this self-help? Is this me, me, me? I understand why you're thinking that, but go with me for a second. I picked up this book called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. He's a theologian, incredible short read. I highly recommend it. (laughs) Go with me. (laughs) Quote, here's what David Benner says. Christian spirituality involves a transformation of the self that occurs only when God and self are both deeply known. Both, therefore, have an important place in Christian spirituality. There is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self, and no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. John Calvin, he quotes, wrote, nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and of ourselves. He goes on, we have focused on knowing God and tended to ignore knowing ourselves. The consequences have often been grievous. Marriages betrayed, families destroyed, ministries shipwrecked, and endless numbers of people damaged. We've seen this, haven't we? I've only, I'm about at the halfway mark of my life and I've seen a lot of this. One of my favorite, um, St. Teresa of Avila, 15th century spiritual director, she says almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. And this, this lack of self-awareness, this lack of self-knowledge leads us often to hide and get so used to hiding that we forget we're hiding or to put masks on of what we think the world wants from us and then we actually get so used to it we forget that we're wearing a mask and we don't know ourselves and then we can't really know God. One more quote. I love quotes. Pete Scazzaro out in New York. He says, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. Without being fully aware of it, we live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations for us. And this, this line here, this does violence to ourselves, our relationship to God and ultimately to others. 22 years ago when I got here, I was leading worship for the youth ministry, and it was called TAG at the time, and we were just wild. We got some TAG students. I see you in the back. And it was wild. We were, it was loud. It was rambunctious. We were crowd surfing. We used to have a stack of speakers. There was a stack of speakers right here, about 10 feet high. I got on that stack of speakers, and I jumped off onto teenagers. Not a good idea. I barely survived. But... I was, I was kind of, I thought I was expected to be loud and outgoing, life of the party, and I was kind of filling that space, but I was exhausted. I was anxious. I was not quite myself, and I was struggling, and then I had this amazing moment when a good friend of mine, who's actually trained and licensed in the Myers-Briggs thing, and he's like, John, you, you're scoring as an extrovert because and because you're taking the test, you're answering all your questions in a way that this is what I think the world wants from me. He's like, can I just tell you as your friend, you're a full-on introvert. <laughs> and I just, I just <laughs> like wept. <laughs> I was like, that permission, permission to be who I was. It was a self-revelation moment and this incredible thing. And all of a sudden, I just knew Jesus better. I was more me. I could lay down the mask and get to know who Jesus was. So it's time for us, it's a small little example, but it's time for us to kind of face ourselves and face our sins. So you're thinking sins like, oh, I'm, I'm not your youth pastor, I'm not here to say, oh, don't do this or don't do this or don't do this. But 
here's, let's kind of define sin and how I want to talk about it right now. There's this amazing, my favorite definition of sin. Theologian Cornelius Plantinga says, sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. Shalom is this Hebrew word. We've all heard it before. It means peace. It means harmony, wholeness, completeness, uh, prosperity. Daniel and I were just in Israel this past summer. And you know how they greet each other out there? They say, shalom. So when they're saying hi to you out there, they're saying peace on you, harmony on you, wholeness on you, completeness on you, prosperity on you, welfare on you, tranquility on you. Compare that to how we greet each other here in America. What's up? (laughs) It's different. So sin is this thing that separates us from this peace. Sin is this thing that separates us from our welfare. It disturbs. And as we're trying to shrink this gap and to walk like Jesus walked and look like Jesus, how can we remove these disturbances? So four disturbances. And we're going to call them sins. But think of that definition. Four disturbances. And this is taken from Robert Mulholland, amazing theologian. I picked up this book actually thinking about this talk. And he has these four things that are incredible. I'm just going to. We're gonna kind of hang on those four things for the, for the night, for the talk. And he, he, he kind of describes these stages to Christ's likeness. And one of the stages is called purgation. It's kind of the word where the Catholics get the word uh, purgatory. And don't be scared by that word. It's, it's just simply a burning away of the disturbances. You know what I'm saying? It's a burning away of the things that separate us from Christ-likeness. And in the stage of purgation is like is these four disturbances, these four sins. And these are epic. These are amazing. I'm glad that we're at this point now because I feel like you'll find yourself in this. And I pray that the Holy Spirit just starts to convict, starts to love, starts to speak to us here because I found myself in a lot of this. The first one, I hope no one will really find themselves in. The first one's called gross sins. And gross sins, that's like murder. Um, and Christian or not, you, you know murder's wrong. Moral or not, you think mor- uh, murder is wrong. Even if you're a murderer, you're most likely going, maybe that wasn't a great idea. <laughs> it's kind of accepted. Murder's not a great idea. But Paul lists some of these things like theft or an adult, uh, adultery, idolatry. Those are gross sins. Not many will find themselves in that. If you are dealing with that, Pastor Daniel will take care of you after the service. <laughs> Let's go to number two. And this is where it starts to get in our business. Okay, number two, Mahalan calls deliberate sins. So here's what deliberate sins are. These are socially acceptable things, decisions and sins in culture at large, even in the church at large, but maybe still not the way of Jesus. So this, I mean, an example would be social media habits. Uh, There was a time before social media kind of came on the scene where if a group of people said, you're awesome, but this group of people didn't hear it, you would never say, well, I can't say what this group has said about me to this group, but now we're doing it all the time on social media. We're echoing, and, we're, and I've done it. I've done it myself. We just released a, a single last week, Nobody But You, and it's, it's like, oh, people are loving the song, but this group didn't know that you love the song, but I'll tell them. I'll tell them that you love the song. I mean, is it sin? I don't know, but, we, but I need to ask the question, is it the way of Jesus? Or how about... Something a little more close, closer to home. Broadcast television's kind of gone, so it's all the streaming platforms now, and they just don't have the rules. So the stuff that we're seeing. Naked people on screen, no problem. 
it's become normalized. It's accepted in the culture at large. Or the or brutal violence, or brutal language. I grew up in New Jersey. I heard some language. Then I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. Language, not okay. <laughs> I learned. <laughs> or how about cheating? It's become so normal for Christians to cheat, to get ahead, to get a profit. It's socially, it's accepted all of a sudden, but is it the way of Jesus? My kids, uh, I have twins, Jones and Izzy, and they turn 15 in April, so they have their permits now, and by law, they each have to fulfill 50 hours of driving time with mom and dad. We have twins. That's 100 hours (laughs) of driving time with mom and dad. So they turn 15 in April, and I told Paige before they turned 15, I said, well, we're totally cheating. I'm not doing that. it's, there's not even 100 hours in the year. I'm not, we're not doing, we're not spending all of our time driving. And I told people that I'm gonna cheat. And it's so easy, there's an app, it just says start driving. And then it gets to the destination, stop driving. It doesn't track who's driving. It's just so easy. I was telling pastors, oh, I'm gonna cheat. And they're like, of course you are. <laughs> and then I started prepping for this talk. <laughs> And I learned about deliberate sins. And I'm happy to report that Jones and Izzy are almost at 20 hours each of driving time and not one of those hours was cheated. (laughs) We're We're gonna go the distance. But we gotta ask ourselves and think of the things that we're doing. Again, I'm not trying to beat you over the head like as a youth pastor, but is this the way of Jesus? Ask that question just because it's accepted even in the church. Doesn't mean it's the way of Jesus. That's deliberate sins. Number three. So these first two are kind of behavior, kind of decisions. Now we're getting into the inner world here. The third is unconscious sins. This is kind of our unconscious, our blind spots. Through God's kindness, he will always come for the deep places in our heart. These are like the internal things, not the external things. The anger within that we battle, the pride within, contempt, the motivations for why we do things, fear, deep fear that we're not loved for who we are. So the masks go on. And a lot of people don't like to look here because it's hard, it's embarrassing, it's, it's in the dark. And there's this great little parable of the lost key. It's about a guy who loses his house key and he goes to the, out in front of his house and there's a bright street lamp and he's looking for his house key and then his neighbors come and say, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I lost my house key. Oh, we'll help you. And they all start looking for the house key and they're not finding it. And one of the neighbors says, we're not finding it. Any, any chance you remember where you left it? And the guy says, yeah, I left it in the house. And it's like, why are we looking out here? It's like, because all the light's out here, is what he said. Yeah, so this is what we do. We try to heal the inner places by what we could do on the outside. We try to heal the deep places of our heart, like Thomas Merton called the false self or the shadow self. We try to heal that by performing, by success, by power, by prestige, by being number one, by being awesome, all the reputation. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Just because all that stuff is seen, I wanna go inside the house and I wanna touch what's in you. I had to deal with this. Um, I'm, I'm wired in a way like the false self, the shadow self. I'm curious. I want to know. I, I want people to look at me and go, hey, I'm seeing this and I'm seeing that. 
Um, and I know that's not as comfortable for people, but I, in, I've talked about this a lot in the songs I've written or at the church, but in my teenage years and in my 20s and 30s, I, I was finding myself just paralyzed by something. There was a nausea that would come over me. There were sweats that would come over me. What's going on? And early on, we weren't sure what it was, and then it's like, then you find out it's, it's, it's an anxiety episode. It's a thing that's kind of coming over you and taking over you. So I kind of, unless I didn't want to survive and I wanted to survive, I had to kind of go in. I had to find out what was going on. Were there lies I was believing? Were there narratives that I was believing? Were there tapes I was playing over and over again? And through the help of people and through Jesus, it's, the answer is like, yes, 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 yes. And here I am, 44 years old, I'm living a life that I never thought possible when I was a teenager and having these episodes. Jesus has tenderly walked me through freedom, through healing, but it was through turning the lights on inside and finding out what's going on in here. And we need to do this, and we need other people's help. People that see us, because we're not seeing it for ourselves. Other people can help. One of the most powerful prophetic words I ever got was from Paige's dad, my father-in-law. He's a Texan through and through. He loves Jesus and he loves whiskey. I don't even know if it's in that order. And I was in a season like this where I was spinning, I was spiraling, I was overthinking, and I got a phone call one day from him. I answered the phone and I said, hello? And he just goes, thus saith the Lord. It's okay. And then he just said two words. He said, chill out. <laughs> and he hung up the phone. <laughs> Thanks. That was 15 years ago. It has stuck with me. It really has. Some of, in fact, some of, that's a word for some of you here. You need to stop. You need to stop overthinking. You need to chill out. You need to talk with others. Get help. We need each other. People who are not afraid of their shadow sides and their false selves and exploring those things, they walk with a limp. And have you ever heard people say, don't trust anyone who doesn't walk with a limp? I love people that walk with a limp. I walk with a limp. Paige and I love hanging out with people who walk with a limp. Okay. If none of those have hit you, this fourth one will hit you. Okay. I mean, I've been hit all kinds of times already by this. Number four is what Mahalan calls it trust structures, but I'm gonna call it trust sins. It's because it's a disturbance. And this is, this is that deep inner posture of our being that just does not rely on God, but on self for our well-being. It's the things we look to for our okayness, for our security that don't go by the name of Jesus. And those things will fall, those things will fade away. So Mulholland has a great line about what this total radical trust in God looks like. He says, quote, it is trust that rests one's being totally and completely in God's love and care without demands, conditions, or prior expectations. I did, uh, I preached in, at North in March and I talked more about this idea, but it's kind of a word that the ancients used called attachments. Attachments is this, it's desire gone wrong. We're meant to have desire in our Christian tradition. We're meant to go for it, to be radical and be bold. But attachment is unless this happens or this happens, I won't be okay. It is, a, it is such a connection to the outcome that says unless I, I need someone to do something or something to do something or I will not be okay. 
And Jesus is coming after that because the only thing we need is him to be okay. God is after these attachments. John Calvin calls our hearts an idol factory. (laughs) Jesus is after us and we have to detach from those things that we need so badly that we're white knuckling. One more quote, Maholland. He talks about detachment in an amazing way. He says, it is neither, so this is surrender from these attachments. It is neither a passive resignation nor a fatalistic acquiescence to whatever comes. It is rather a consistent posture of actively turning our whole being to God so that God's presence, purpose, and power can be released through our lives into all situations. Consistent posture of actively turning our whole being to God. I had to do it this week. There's an attachment that, I've, that has plagued me for years. It's nothing wrong, nothing bad. It's nothing financial. It's just like, I want, I wish the outcome was this. It's so close to being this. I thought actually would be this. And it turns out that I really needed it to be this, but it's not this. It's just not. And I had, to, this week I had to face it. And Paige, Paige and I had a little moment of prayer where she's like, John, Lord, help John let go. Help John detach. I had to take a moment again. And I love how Mahalan says it's a consistent posture of actively turning our whole being to God. Okay. So let's land this plane. Um, Danny, if you can come put. Pl- oh, Danny. <laughs> we are worship people, we know. How do we do this, Jesus? How do we become like Jesus? Friends, we gotta enter into a life of formation. We gotta close this gap between how we walk and how Jesus walked. A couple of things, we already talked about it. We gotta face our sins. We have to face ourselves. I wanna add two things. We need to practice the way of Jesus. We can't think our way into Christ-likeness. Psychologists talk about how most people think it's our loves and our longings that inform then our habits, but it's actually the opposite. It's our habits that inform then our loves and our longings. Isn't that amazing? My son Jones is playing playing drums and he's he played here on a Friday night a few weeks ago he's played with me a bunch and he's going to be playing more and he's 15 years old and he he can't think his way into playing up here he's not thinking, well I'm John Egan's son so I'm just gonna I'm gonna play it's like Matrix make me good you know and all of a sudden he could play drums he had to do the time he had to do the rudiments he had to stand he had to sit in the basement and he's playing every single day the house shakes the neighbors know it But he can't think his way into playing drums. He has to habit his way into playing drums. We can't think our way into Christ-likeness. We have to habit our way into Christ-likeness. That's why we come to church. That's why we worship God. That's why we fast. That's why we live in community. There's this, just look up the spiritual disciplines. There's all kinds of amazing things that we just need to be doing. Some of us need to start doing something that you haven't done before. Some of us need to stop doing some things that we've been doing. 
We have to practice the way of Jesus. And the last thing I just want to talk about is that I've been talking a lot about how all the things that we could be doing. And you might be thinking, well, where does Jesus come in? I mean, can he help at all with this? And I just want to say that Jesus will do all the heavy lifting. Augustine has this amazing line about this partnership with us and God. He says, without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. We're in this beautiful dance together. He wants to walk with us. Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What this tells us is that God from the beginning, before we can make any good decision or bad decision, already calls us Christ-like. So you're saying, oh, so I'm Christ-like, done. Yes, you are Christ-like, and you are living into being Christ-like. When I had, when we had our kids, when I had, we had Jones and Izzy, we doubled in size overnight, literally, our family. We had twins, and I was a dad. There was no disputing it. You couldn't argue it. I was a dad. But what did I know about being a dad? Nada. Nothing. I had to live into being a dad. So we are Christ-like. God calls us sons and daughters. He calls us people who carry the image of Jesus in the world. And he's saying, let's close the gap and let me help you become like me. Final story, and then we're gonna go to the table. This is a perfect time to go to the table of the Lord because what I love about the table of the Lord is that we go and we kind of leave something. And then we pick something up. So it's basically repent and receive. So, in fact, the communion service, if you guys can come up. And I just want to tell a quick story, but when I was, um, I was in sixth grade, and uh, we were, I was in, my brother and I, we were in the Boy Scouts, it was through our church, and we went on these camping trips and these hiking competitions and and I was 12 years old, it was sixth grade, and we went, um, we went on this, this camping trip and we were gonna do like these hikes. And we formed a group and it was a competition and we formed a group and in our group was like five sixth graders and like the oldest kid in our group was in eighth grade. We were kids. And we were going on like this eight mile hike, Appalachian Mountains, and we were just like, okay, good, let's go. We wanna go, we wanna go, we wanna win, let's go, let's go. So we didn't really quite get all the information. And we set off on our on our little journey. And all we know is that we have to follow the, the markers, the white rectangle painted markers on the tree. The, that'll mark the trail. So we're going. A few miles into it, we notice, well, the white markers have now have a red dot in the middle. And we're thinking, that's probably nothing. That's probably fine. We're just gonna keep going. So we keep going for miles. See the, the marker of the, white, of the white marker with the red dot in the middle? Um, and then... A couple hours later, it's like, well, all we see is this green marker. I'm sure it's fine. We just keep going. Green. We jump green. And then it goes to red. We are hours into this thing. We should have gotten to our destination already. And then finally, our 12-year-old brains, one of us just says, I think those changes of color, I think we were jumping trails. And I think that means that we're incredibly lost, like really far out lost. And we didn't know, how do we backtrack? We don't know how to backtrack because we don't know where we jumped the trails. 
So all of a sudden, it's actually one of the first memories I have of like a deep anxiety and a deep panic. It was just coming over me and all the thoughts, all the fear. And we didn't know what to do. And finally, one of us just like, well, we could try to backtrack. We don't know. I guess we could try red and then it goes to green. And we were hours in the Appalachian Trail. It's going to get dark. So we start trying to go back. And we're about 100 yards into backtracking. And then these two guys come out of nowhere and they're like cool guys. And they're like in the, they got the gear and the camelbacks with the little straws. And they're running through. And they come upon us and they're like, and they say, what are you guys doing way out here? And we're like, we are lost. We're with the Boy Scouts. We're trying to figure out what to do. And these two guys say, okay, here's what you do. So you're going to follow Red Trail until it hits this boulder, this boulder on the right. Then you're going to find 50 yards from there is the green. You're going to hop on green and you're going to take that for about 200 yards or, or a couple miles actually. And it's like, and then you come to a clearing, but don't go right, go left. And there's the white with the red dot. They gave us all the instructions and then they start running off. They're like, we're, who are you guys? And they say, oh, we're just here. Uh, we're just helping lost hikers. And they keep going. They didn't have wings coming out of their backpacks. It was just water. <laughs> but they saved us. We were totally lost. And these guys showed us the way back we're going to come to the table of the Lord and we're going to realize that Jesus has come out of nowhere. Say, I know you're lost. I know you're doing your best. Here's the way. This trail to this trail. You'll still have to hike it. You'll still have to do it. We got back. It just became night when we got back to our camp. Oh my goodness from fear to just relief. Jesus has come to say, here's where you go. I'm not going to let you stay lost. Can we stand together? Um, I was talking with the team about that old vineyard song, Refiner's Fire. Remember that? My heart, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, God. I choose to be holy, Set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. So we're gonna sing that together as we come through the line. Would you come and lay down? I know the Holy Spirit convicted. I could feel it in this room. There are things that were highlighted in you. Come and lay it down. Before you even get repentance out of your mouth, the Lord's like, I have something for you. I have the way back. Let's come to the table of the Lord.